Welcome to the Mind Your OT Business Podcast, where we empower and equip occupational therapy practitioners to be savvy and successful entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Laura Park Figueroa. Ready to take action? Let's jump in. Hello, everyone. Today on the Mind Your OT Business podcast, we have our second interview of all time. Yay! Bradley Williams joined me for a phone call all the way from Adelaide, Australia. Brad is the founder of Naturally Gathered, which is an OT practice in Adelaide, Australia. Naturally Gathered offers pop-up nature play groups for children and families. And this fall, Brad is starting to explore offering therapeutic services for children in the outdoors and actually doing OT services outdoors. So Brad and I have been in touch back and forth for a little bit now. He got in contact with me a while ago and we followed one another's work. And so he had some questions as he's getting started with using the outdoor setting as an environment for therapy. And so I asked him if he would be willing to come on the podcast and share some of his journey and then also ask me his questions live for everyone else to benefit from as well. So These are a lot of the questions that I get in many of the phone calls that I do for business consulting with some OTs who want to start nature-based practices. So I really hope this conversation that we had is helpful to you guys. So here's Brad Williams of Naturally Gathered. Welcome to the Mind Your OT Business podcast, Brad. It's so great to have you here. Yeah, so awesome to be here as well. Yeah, so excited. Tell us all a little bit about your background and your current work as an OT? I actually started out in um, when I first came out of uni in the aged care space. Um, I didn't mind it, but I certainly knew that it wasn't where I wanted to be. And in the meantime, I was doing some aquatic therapy and types of, that type of thing with kids. And actually, this was the last year of placement. I had a few, uh, last year of uni, I had a few opportunities working with kids. I went to Cambodia for a placement, and um, we were really fortunate at University of South Australia, where I went, had an opportunity to a community development placement which was not clinical OT but it was more around that preventative community focused um, approach um, that, that sort of yeah more wide widespread um, approach to OT so that probably influenced me quite a lot I think in terms of my thinking and then you got an opportunity to jump in to an autism sort of focused organization so it was there Great. for a couple of years doing clinical work and really enjoyed that, but sort of came to the end. And, yeah, I don't know, felt a bit, I guess, this just, yeah, something wasn't quite sitting right for me in terms of that really clinical therapeutic approach. So I sort of stepped out of that space and moved into a government organisation working in low socioeconomic areas, kind of okay. doing a bit more preventative work, so running groups for families and working with preschools and providing more support in that space and so I'm I'm still there for parts of my work and I'm Mm -hmm. also in a group practice doing clinical work in a a clinic Um, and as a part of that I've had an opportunity um, the group practice got a really good relationship with a school who's got um, basically I call it a bush site but it's 200 hectares of Australian bush really and so I've had an opportunity to yeah to do some therapeutic work up there on an on an individual 
um, basis, and and soon looks like soon to be to be doing some some group stuff in in that space as well. In terms of naturally gathered, which is my business, that mm-hmm. sort of started probably in my head a long time ago. Right. Um, <laughs> but um, a couple of years ago, really, sort of was when it started. I I, I saw, I, you know, you sort of see this growing need of you know physical yeah uh, social emotional delays in in kids and it seems the research seems to just suggest it's sort of getting more and more of an issue and i would just drive around and see amazing green spaces um you know creeks and 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 reserves that are empty um and these are the places that i used to play as a kid and it just kept on getting to me how how no one was using them yeah. um, with their kids and families. So um, naturally, gathered started out of that really, out of my desire to to sort of fill these, try and fill these spaces with kids and give parents, I guess maybe the confidence to you know access these. So yeah, we started great. running small yeah we started running small groups for families in this space, really trying to I. I, I sort of figured it out um, that it, it sort of was trying to do three things for me. It was trying to support and encourage free play, um, to connect kids with nature. And the one that probably I've found the most hardest to tap into is to um, connect kids to community and build up and strengthen kind of local communities. So, you know, people yeah. to people, the need to kind of connect people to other people um it, within that was kind of pretty important for me um oh, that's wonderful um so yeah they're kind of i'm sort of um doing a, a, a bit of that still um with an organization in adelaide sort of doing a dad's play group type thing to to, to kind of meet some of those goals and then sort of doing starting to do some of the more clinical stuff um in sort of the natural spaces as well so yeah the group practices I'm in have been really, really supportive. So um, I guess there's a bit of a um, crossover where I, you know, some of the nature-based stuff I'm doing does sort of sit under them. Um, the group that we're doing sits under a partnership that that, that we that we're that we're in, I guess. Okay. And so they're kind of been really good in kind of letting me take some ownership of that from my naturally gathered perspective as well um, right. just in order for me to kind of yeah I guess take have the business take some take some ownership of that because I'm doing um all of the work or pretty much most of the work yeah. for for that um but yeah and then the the group practice basically I, I work see clients I get paid per client and they take a, a cut per client for the admin and the, the rent and right. the, okay. um, all the other little bits and pieces that all the other little costs that vine. So I right. see it as kind of, for me, it's, it's a bit of a, I guess, a growth opportunity, the chance for me to yeah. sort of see all that, see how all that works um, without necessarily taking all of that on as well as all the other stuff right. that, you know, it comes with. A lot. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. No, wonderful that's for starting out because you don't, managing all that is very complex. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. That you yeah. Have that. And you're also doing what a lot of people do, which is, I, I really always feel like I'm so big on OTs starting businesses, but starting a 
business doesn't mean that you have to quit everything and just do the business, right? You're doing the really great thing of having some steady income, partnering with other people and slowly building your own thing and, and taking those steps right now to see what it will become in the future. But man, it's good to have that steady paycheck and steady work on the side when you're getting started because it can be a real financial hit to a family to try to do something starting out with no steady income, right? <laughs> so absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, and good setup, sort of they know. had yeah, they had sort of um pretty good contacts with families and and um, sort of lots of referrals coming from and connections with the school as well. So it's not taken me very long to um be at capacity, which has been good as well because that's always that's something wonderful. to worry about. Um, so I've been very fortunate in, in, in that way, um, definitely. So I guess we could, we could move to any questions you have for me. And I know you sent me a few, but I'm, feel free to ask me whatever you want. And we can just let this conversation kind of flow like a business consult call. Because I, I talk to a lot of people about starting nature practices, and I'm happy to share what, what we do. Not that it's perfect or anything, but just to share ideas and kind of problem solve together. So I'm happy to be yeah. a resource that for sounds... you on this podcast. So <laughs> yeah, that sounds wonderful. Um, yeah, I jotted some questions down beforehand. Um, uh, most of the practical ones, but I, I wondered for you, um, I'm finding that um, the opportunity, the creative opportunities that I'm sort of feeling I've got now is, is, is one of the reasons why I've chosen to go this path. But uh, one, of the, one of the tricky things for me is I, I love new ideas and I love sort of um, the, the thinking and the design process of it. But I find that um, sometimes for me, the, the, um, I guess the persisting and continuing to go on yeah. um, when I think of other new ideas is probably one of the trickiest parts. So I just wondered how, um, whether that's something that you um, have had to kind of manage or, or maybe it's not, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is the answer you're looking for, but I'll tell you what came to mind and then you can tell me if that answers your question. <laughs> so I was, when I first started out the first year that I led groups outdoors and I had made the decision to move my whole private practice all outdoors. Like I wasn't working inside in a clinic at all anymore. And um, when I did that, I was super committed to after every single session journaling in a, I bought a nice notebook that was just for this purpose. And I journaled basically a self-reflection on the session. And I used these three questions, which I may have said this in a previous podcast episode. So forgive me, everyone, if this is beating you over the head with this, but it's an important point. We need to self-reflect to be able to learn. So we don't learn by doing, really. We learn when we think about what we did and what went well, what went wrong, and what we're going to do differently the next time. And so I used those three questions every single time that I had a session, whether it was good or bad. There was always something that went well. There was always something that went wrong. And there was always something I could do differently the next time. And that... I, I cannot reiterate to you how much that changed my perspective as an OT in general, but really, really helped me to see the benefits and the drawbacks of working outdoors with kids, right? So um, yeah, yeah. 
it, it was super helpful. So that's just a thought I had about, you know, it, it allows you, using that self-reflection process allows you to um, think through every week what you did. And if you're kind of changing what you do every week, you'll have some documentation, just notes for your own purposes, not going to any medical <laughs> or parent or anything like that. But just, yeah, yeah. just your own thoughts about like your own intuition as a therapist about what went well, what went wrong, and what could be done differently. I call them um, positives, problems, proactive solutions. I needed some alliteration to remind <laughs> me of that. <laughs> so positives, problems, proactive solutions. And, and then I would try whatever. It was really easy the next week if I, I'd plan an activity or whatever, but then I would always pop back and look at that whatever I wrote for the week before. And it would remind me, oh my gosh, I need a visual for so-and-so to remind her to do such and such, you know, or whatever. So it would, it, I'm trying to be very like anonymous here. So I didn't want to say any names or anything. <laughs> um, so it, it, it was just a good format for me to help me kind of hone in on what actually was working and what didn't go so well. Um, yeah, sure. Is that helpful? I don't know if that's exactly what you were asking, but. Um, I, no, for sure. I think I can see that would, I could see how that would sort of help, um, help keep, keep, me or whoever on, on, on track with yeah. what it is you're sort of trying to achieve as well. Yeah, it certainly sounds valuable. And it's certainly, you know, that reflection is what we try to, uh, certainly try to encourage um, the older kids that work with to do as well. Yes. It's kind of, and like you sort of said, it's that, it's, um, yeah, not the actual it's, reflection that where probably most of that learning happens. That is, it's so true. And I feel like that's something that I know in a previous episode, I, don't know if it's published yet, but I went on a, a big excited tirade about OA theory, occupational adaptation theory. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things in OA theory is that your your job as an OT, one of the constructs that they talk about in the theory is that we need to be encouraging our clients. For us, that's children and parents too, but you know, we're primarily working with the children outdoors. We need to be encouraging our clients to self-reflect. And that's it's one of the reasons I love that theory is because it includes that in the theory. It's a key part is that the person being satisfied with their performance, the person thinking about how others are satisfied with their performance, the person thinking yeah. about how well or how um, efficiently they, they completed something. So little, little kids can't do it, but there's really simple ways that we can build in that, that self-reflection. That's a big part of our approach too. And I'm, it's so cool. I feel like we're, we're so aligned with a lot of the things we're doing. I just hear you talk and I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but encouraging the kids to self-reflect, I feel like we often don't do that. In traditional OT, we just forget. You know, we forget to, to pause and have them actually give us their feedback about how is that for you? How did that go for you? Was that easy? Was that hard? What do you think? You know, and getting, eliciting their opinions. We're so focused on our goals sometimes. We just are like, teaching the skill, seeing if they can do it. Okay. Praising them for doing it and moving on. Right. So yeah. So yeah, awesome so that you encourage the kids to do that self-reflection too at their, you know, at their developmentally appropriate level. But anyway, yeah, sorry, I could go on and on about that theory. I love it. So <laughs> no, it's, yeah, yeah, it's very cool. It's um, yeah. No, I, 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 it makes a lot of sense to the way I work as well. So yeah. Um, yeah, I guess the other questions I had are more around practical things. Like, I guess yeah. for me, sort of thinking about, you know, screening children before, um, before 
that they join the program and how you kind of make sure that they're a good and appropriate fit for, for the program. Uh, yeah, I was curious about that. Yeah, I when I started out, I did do a lot of in-person visits. Um, I did, you know, because it was small enough when I first started out. Some of the kids were kids that I brought in from I was I was seeing kids working in the schools and seeing kids on the side in a clinic where I was renting space. So I was kind of how you are, my own business, but paying the clinic owner rent essentially. And I was getting my own clients, managing my own schedule. They were paying me directly. Yeah. So that's yeah. a little different. But um, so I took some of those kids. I, I made the jump and told my families I'm moving all outdoors. So some of those kids I already knew. And then it made it where I knew some kids so that I could then appropriately place kids that that registered or were interested. So I started out by just doing phone calls with families and I would ask them very, you know, I had kind of a list of things I wanted to ask and I would ask them very specific questions. So phone screening, essentially, just to mm -hmm. just to talk with them about their child's behaviors. For example, one question I would always ask is, will your child run off into the woods unattended you know because that's that's so important that's like yeah. safety right number one priority yeah. safety in the woods and because we're not staffed with one-on-one -on -one for each child and so parents needed to know that and now that's in all of our I mean I guess it was at the time too in all of our waivers you know they have to sign a very specific uh, behavior policy that they agree that their child can do certain things and is appropriate for the group so that's something we have in our intake process to make sure that families understand who the group is appropriate for and and who not because we, we don't have one-on-one -on -one staff for kids um, so it started with phone screening and then I moved to um, well I guess I'll back up occasionally I would do an in-person visit so if I talked with a parent and I wasn't sure I sometimes would meet them on the school playground after school or we'd meet at a playground locally for a half hour and I'd just kind of meet them and their child and talk to them what I found was that was financially unsustainable. It's, it's really not feasible yeah. when you're forming groups to go in person to each person and have them um, meet them and screen them. So um, it kind yeah. of, it's difficult, right? Um, so I, I kind of morphed into um, knowing what I needed to ask on the application form and then very carefully screening application forms on paper making follow-up calls if I needed to, to clarify things. And then by then I had run enough groups that I kind of knew, you know, <laughs> how to, how yeah, to for sure. slate yeah, kids. Yeah. So um, I feel really strongly about the fact that we really shouldn't have, and this was a mistake I made in the beginning and people all over are like, oh no, that would be just not effective. And I was like, see, I, I, I think that should have been obvious to me, but it wasn't. So I started out having, a group that was primarily working on um, social skills for kids with autism and another group that was more higher level play skills, sensory and motor skills, right? And what mm -hmm. happened was the group that had four children with autism, they just didn't want to communicate. <laughs> so yeah. they would be like herding cats. They'd go to like four different locations. <laughs> We'd have a tent for our meeting so that we could all be contained, you know? So <laughs> awesome kids. But I, I really learned through that, that we really need some, some role models for, for effective play to happen. 
And so that's been researched too. Integrated playgroups are a, are a big, Pamela Wolfberg has done a lot of research with that, if anybody's interested, on integrated playgroups for kids with autism. And so one of the key things in her approach is that there are kids that are neurotypical in the group so that they can help support the play moving along in a way that models age-appropriate social communication and play skills. And so that's why we kind of started adding this peer playmate role to our groups to have kids that come at very reduced cost, but they're there benefiting from nature, benefiting from all the activities, but they're not receiving OT. It's a lower price service yeah. because it's a nature play experience for them. So um, it's very, very yeah. cool. And yeah, that's, uh, um, yeah, I was going to say, um, I was going to ask you about, about that as well, because I was really interested sort of as I was reading um, on the website, but I was going to say as well, I think like you sort of said with the screening and things, it's almost like um, uh, a learning curve um, that you kind of had to go through in some ways, um, even though it wasn't scalable, you sort of needed that to kind of um, get to a point where you could just ask the questions on the paper and, yes. and get enough, enough from that. Um, Cause yeah, that's sort of at the stage I feel like I'm at now i know it kind of needs to be like that but i perhaps don't quite feel confident enough to um um yeah to, to just like, yeah do it on paper path. yeah <laughs> yeah so i think even though yeah you've sort of shared that i feel like i still gonna have to go through that process um as, as well um you'll streamline it as you go right like you'll you'll learn what works best for what you want to do and you will streamline and find your own systems that will work more efficiently. But anytime we start something, oh my gosh, this is OA theory again, people, this is crazy. <laughs> um, but anytime we start something new, we have all these hypermobile responses. You know, we're, we're just trying new things. We're trying to figure it out. We're, we're probably doing a lot of things that are not efficient because it's a brand new thing that we're learning how to do. And that's okay. That's like a typical occupational adaptation process for us as business owners, right? But when we, we do that, if we have healthy adaptation, <laughs> we find what works and then we become more efficient. So you're right where you need to be, Brad. You're totally, you're totally good. <laughs> Perfect spot you should be in the process cool. that you're in right now. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess I, I was, I'll definitely look up um, Pamela Woolworth and, and um, start thinking about that, but that's certainly um, different to how traditional, you know, OT groups have been run. You know, it's, uh, it's certainly, that's probably one of the first times I've heard of someone, you know, using, um, or having sort of those combined groups with kids with, you know, different skill sets and the kids that don't need it yeah. that are there anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my yeah. own son has, has come ever since I started. And I, when I first started, I didn't bring him because I felt a little like family. They were families I knew. And after a while, they really knew me well. And it just so happened that a kid was absent one week. And I thought, you know, just to round out the group and have more than just three kids, I'll ask the families if they mind if I bring my son with me. And they were all like, absolutely, absolutely. That's wonderful. Bring him. And then it went so well that I was like, do you guys mind if I bring him every week? <laughs> because he, he has really learned in the process of, of, 
being around all different kinds of kids, he has learned to respect that kids have different things that they're good at. And there's different strengths and weaknesses that all kids have. And he understands differences, I think, in a way that a lot of kids his age maybe don't. I mean, I'm not trying to brag on him. He's got his own faults too. But <laughs> but, but it's course, just cool yeah. to see like that that develop. But I think it's been very hard from a business perspective. It has been very hard to market the peer playmate spots. And the other reason we kind of developed those is because some kids were ready to exit OT services. Like we were like, they're kind of done. They're doing great. They don't need support during group. They're participating. They're playing. But the parents were like, well, can they still come? But we not pay for OT. And we were like, yes, let's create something for you. So it's kind <laughs> of, it was kind of like a variety of things. But the hard thing with marketing those spots to people who don't know us is this bias that exists in our culture essentially towards kids that have autism and kids that have different learning needs. And I think in, I hate to say it, but in some situations, parents think their, their child who doesn't need OT is going to like pick up bad behavior or something if they come to that group. So it's, it's taken some, you know, I, I still am struggling with how do I market these spots to say we're an OT group some of these kids are getting OT, but we really value having neurotypical kids there too. And, and those kids benefit too, not just the kids that are getting OT. You know, it's not just that, the, you know, oh, the nice kids that are neurotypical come to help the OT kids. That's not how I see it. I actually see it as like benefits on both, both ways, you know? Absolutely. So, anyway, Absolutely, it's hard to communicate yeah. in, them in, in a succinct way in marketing though. <laughs> so... Yeah. Yeah, I can see how that would be tricky. Um, but yeah, I think, like you said, I don't know how all parents would see it that way. But for me, I'd be sort of similar thinking to you that you know, there's value in you know kids seeing how other kids learn and think and yeah, yeah, act and and um, yeah, and then those conversations that can happen after that around yeah, how all people are kind of different and have yep. different strengths and skills and things. Yeah, it's yeah, important. It's yeah. Anyhow, sorry, I yeah, talk too but, much. You can ask me more. No, no, ahead. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, the other big thing which I've been wondering a lot about at the moment is about um, sort of measures because I guess what you sort of focus on and what you measure is track progress, what you measure and kind of what you focus on in in the groups. Yeah, this is this is all sort of emerging as we go because I'm going to be doing research on the approach that the Contigo approach that we designed at, at Outdoor Kids OT. And I think that we are going to have to change some things the year that I'm doing research. But right now I'll tell you what we do and then I'll tell you what I think we're going to have to change. So right now we have the children do the Vineland and the sensory processing measure. So any child who comes in, the parent is sent both of those assessments. Um, and that is how we get a, a standardized score for, that's the standardized assessment piece that we use. So we're not doing that in-person visit, right? But from those checklists yeah. that parents fill out, we can get a lot of information. And we use the first few sessions as kind of an assessment time, essentially. Because that, yeah, yeah. that's where we can observe the child and kind of see if what we, what we heard from the parents matches what we're seeing in the group. And then we establish goals. 
I learned very quickly that having multiple goals per child, like when you work in a clinic, sometimes a kid has five goals when they're getting individual therapy, right? Um, five children with five goals each, you cannot, <laughs> you cannot manage that unless you are, you have a way bigger and more efficient brain than I do. But um, so we learned really quickly that we need to have one or two really focused goals on the top things that are most important to families. And that's a big thing for me is making sure that we really listen to families. That's what I love about private practice is it's like you can listen to a parent and hear what they need and really try to direct your services toward that need without insurance telling you what to do, the school telling you it has to be educationally relevant, you know, all the, so it's, yeah. it's I yeah. love it that it can be so holistic. I feel like it's really how OT should be practiced. Um, so the goals, the goals are pretty, they're pretty, they're as broad and individualized as children are. So um, the goals could be primarily, well, we, we focus on, and this kind of came out of the first year or two of the work too, we focus on, our motto is that we help kids become more coordinated, confident, calm, and caring. And so those things stand for their motor skills, their confidence, like their mental health, essentially, their growth mindset, their ability to stick to things, grit, perseverance, resilience, um, coordinated, confident, calm. So that's like self-regulation and sensory processing. And caring is social skills, being a peer and a friend and learning how to interact with others in a way that is socially um, rewarding, you know. Um, so those are kind of the broad areas that we cover, but the goals are super individualized to the child. Right now we, we have an EMR that we use, and so we um, those goals are placed into the EMR and the the an electronic medical record. Sorry, I'm using. Thanks, Steph. Like, yeah, I was going to confirm, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. Is the term the same in Australia? I don't really know. <laughs> should I should define things? Well, yeah, not 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 for me, but maybe others. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, EMR. It's electronic medical record. Yeah, um, so it's like a online documentation platform that's that's compliant with HIPAA, the the Privacy Act that we have to follow here to protect children's health information. Yeah. So. Um, so we do that and the goals are in that system and all of my therapists are remote. They work from their homes or whatever um, and they document there. And what I think is going to have to change is I, have you heard of goal attainment scaling? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's pretty intensive. It's a way of writing goals so that you can use them in research because you, you scale the goals. So essentially for each goal, you're writing five different goals yeah. to kind of measure <laughs> no progress to a lot of progress, essentially, or regression. Yeah. You can clearly clearly see how, how much progress has been made, yes. I guess, versus, yeah. And yeah. you can statistically analyze it. Yeah. So yeah. One of my therapists who just dove right in, took a class on it and decided to try it this year. So his goals are written in goal attainment scaling. It was great because he and I worked together um, to, to write the goals. He wrote them and then we edited them together. And the great thing was that it, I, what I noticed about goal attainment scaling is that because it is, because it is a systematized way of writing goals, you can only measure one thing in a goal. So you cannot say, hmm. you know, the child will stay with the group for one minute and 
make a comment during group conversation or something. I don't know. I'm making stuff up. See, I'm not good at just goals on the fly, yeah, people. Yeah. I got to think. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but basically, you can't say two different things in one goal. Like, we'll choose a sensory yeah. strategy and implement the strategy. Nope. Choose and implement is not, is, is not one thing. So it's, it, yeah. you get like super specific focused on really what you're measuring and break it down into like the tiny parts of it. And so I think it's, it's what we will be probably training all of the therapists that work at Outdoor Kids OT to do because that's, I'm assuming, where we're going to pull a lot of our data is from their notes. And so if those goals are written in goal attainment scaling style, then we can we can easily statistically analyze that for research to show outcomes, which is what I really, really want to do is show outcomes for nature-based OT. That's my passion that I just am hoping will happen. (laughs) So, yeah, did that answer Yeah, that makes a lot (laughs) of sense. No, it does. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, And so I was just thinking back. So so you you kind of collect all that information beforehand. Yeah. And you have you often have a, a couple of sessions before you sort of set, set goals. Yeah. I, I, um... I usually tell parents that we will set goals by the third session because we run, we run the groups as school year groups and we tell parents, we will tell you if your child doesn't need OT anymore. I don't, I'm very clear with the therapists that work at OKOT and huh. about we don't want to be seeing kids for OT if they don't need to continue to see us, right? So just because yeah, we're a yeah. school year program, I'm not saying, well, you're in and you got to pay tuition. And I'm not saying that. We can always take kids to a peer playmate role, always. We do that mid-year sometimes or even mid-semester. But, but basically, with those OT kids, we're telling families, we're going to get to know your kids so that the goals are actually relevant. And we want to work on things that are relevant to you, your family, to make life easier for you and for your child. And we want to know your child before we're just going off of a piece of paper because the assessments don't tell us everything. We have to see them in person and also see them in the context of the group, right, with other kids. So, and most parents are totally okay with that. And then we either email or do a short phone call to just say, this is what we're thinking for a goal, does that look appropriate to you? And is that something you'd want us to, to work on? You know, cause they've already told us in the intake paperwork, what their priorities are. So, um, and it's yeah. worked pretty well. I think it's, I think that's worked as a, as a, a good system for us this last year, it seemed to work pretty well. So. Cool. I, I like that a lot. I like, um, yeah, I like the fact that you sort of commit to that period of time um because i think so often parents often want quick fixes and often groups will be quite short term and i I often feel like yeah they're i don't know this is this philosophy that you know that we can work magic perhaps i don't know right we (laughs) sprinkle magic ot dust on them you know like (laughs) (laughs) exactly so i think i like committing that that commitment that you've sort of said this is what it is you know it's sort of that that deep sort of change that happens with with you know extended time in in nature but also in 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 you know sort of that program with that support is yeah it's, it's really cool and I guess I'm also curious about um, how you guys kind of protect yourself. You talked a bit about like policies and things like that. Um, and I guess making parents and families aware of um, 
those is quite an important part of that process. Is that sort of the main thing that you guys have that, um, you know, you use to, yeah, I guess, protect yeah, from I, anything? I mean, I have, I have liability insurance for the business and all my employees are covered, but I don't, yeah. um, I don't have anything special as far as um, extra liability insurance or anything like that. I do mm-hmm. have parents sign those waivers, which basically say like nature is an unpredictable setting. We cannot control what happens in nature. I mean, it's very specific about animals, bugs, you know, like <laughs> poison oak, all these things that kids may come into contact with. And just saying that we, we do our best to help um, protect kids from those you know, from unnecessary risk, but there's some risk involved with just being out in nature, right? So um, we have waivers that the parents sign for that. And then um, oh, the other thing that came to mind is with liability insurance, if you're going to get that, I have found that it is best to, when insurance, and I don't know that this would be the same in Australia, but just for anyone listening worldwide, I found it's best to say, I'm an occupational therapist and I see children in community settings, such as schools, playgrounds, parks, you know, like just kind of lumping it in community settings because the challenge with insurance companies is, and I'm, you know, they have my website, they have seen what I do, so I'm not hiding anything from the people who insure me. But um, the, the challenge is that when they hear that you're like a when they get any sign of like adventure, risk, anything like that, then that's when they're like, oh, we won't insure you, right? (laughs) So you want to use the term community-based setting because often they they want you to put, you know, office, clinic, whatever. Oftentimes the insurance companies don't know what OTs do anyway. And so the settings are like (laughs) medical office, outpatient clinic, and there's no other choice, you know? So community settings has been what I have found to be the most accurate description for insurance companies to describe what we do. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and I think I think I, yeah, I had some similar conversations um, early on when I was setting up stuff for Naturally Gathered, and um, yeah, I think basically came to a similar conclusion right. to, to yourself. So yeah, 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 yeah. I I would say too. Um, we do in our in our welcome packet that we send to families, we also talk to them about our philosophy that we allow kids to take risks that that they need to take for their age to build confidence and build motor skills. And so we will be nearby, we are going to support them, but we support risky play at Outdoor Kids OT. And so parents need to know that. We're not going to stop them from taking risks that are appropriate for their development. So we kind of try to build that into the ethos of the whole program so that they're not surprised when their kid comes out with a skin knee because they, you know, were climbing a tree and scraped themselves on the bark or whatever. That's just sort of like celebrated, actually. It's kind of like, you got an owie. That means you were being adventurous. That's so awesome, you know. <laughs> so, but we've, you know, knock on wood, yeah. um, we have never had major injuries. I mean, I mean, the worst thing that happened was years ago when I was running larger group camps through another organization, a kid broke his arm, but that was like, the parents were totally understanding. They were just, he tripped, fell down a little embankment and we could not have controlled that. I mean, it was, there was nothing, it was nothing to do with our services or anything, you know? So yeah, anyway, yeah. it happens. Like it happens, it happens when yeah. kids are playing sport. It happens when kids are, you know, Play right. lunchtime at school that happens yeah so it's 
you know, like you sort of said, I think that clarity sounds really important. Yeah. Just saying this is what we do, this is how it works, sometimes things happen. Sort of being an OT and moving into this space, I've sort of had, yeah. you know, some 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 doubt um, about my capacity to do that um and so sort of you know been thinking about adventure therapy training and things like that but i've come back around to think you know, i don't actually need to do that but i guess i'd wondered about you know how you went um and maybe what other trainings what other um resources that you found have been helpful in your journey as an ot through to get to the point that you're at now i think you have to find what your philosophy is going to be Um, and some of that is just going to be a process for each therapist, because I think a lot of different people can work outdoors and it's going to look very different, um, based on who's leading the group and what philosophy you're using and what's your theoretical foundation and what's your approach to when things go wrong, whatever. I mean, there's so many variables with therapy, right? And, um, I do think that there there is definitely value in getting training in some of the things that are very fun for kids to do outdoors that are super motivating for them, like fire building, knife skills, shelter building. Like those, those type of activities are really unique, and that's a big thing at Outdoor Kids OT. We try to, we're trying to offer kids kind of old school, unique experiences that you or I might have had when we were young, but that kids nowadays aren't getting. And so I think there's value in finding those type of trainings and not necessarily sticking with just OT trainings, right? Because we were trained to be OTs, but we weren't really, most of us weren't really trained in outdoor skills, right? Um, yeah. But I would strongly encourage people too, if you are an OT, you need to have a theory, preferably an OT theory, as foundational to your approach. For me, that's OA, and I'm going to start training my therapist in thinking using OA to to guide what we do at Outdoor Kids OT. Because if we are not using theories as OTs, we we really are not being OTs. <laughs> you know, we're 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 basically not having those those OT foundational theories guiding what we're doing. And I think that's really necessary for us to provide evidence-based, really clear thinking about why what we do is OT and not forest school or nature play. Those things are awesome. But we're, if we're charging, I'm, I feel really passionately about the fact that if we're charging families for an OT service, we need to pr- be providing a therapy service, right? It, it shouldn't just be a nature play group um, you know, unstructured free play the whole time. And we're just kind of breaking up the conflict when it happens or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So really, really think intentionally about like, what experiences are we offering kids and why are we offering those? What is, what is the reason? What is the OT theory behind why we're creating this experience or this activity for children? And what goal is it addressing? Because you can't, you can't say you're just going to plan. I've, I've thought about this too, because some of my um, employees, when I first hire them, they're like, I would just like a curriculum, like tell me what to do for 10 weeks. I'm like, that's not therapy. You know, like that's not yeah. therapy if you have a curriculum that you're following um, as like, this is what you do X, A, B, C, D every, every single time that you meet. Um, 
we really need to be the same way we do with individual kids, developing the session and planning the session based on what those kids in that group need. And so we have a lot of different activities that are that are um, considered, you know, within our Contigo approach. And I'm I'm in the final editing process of a book. It's a book of activities for people that want to like take their work with kids outdoors based on our approach. But it, I don't know when exciting. I will actually be publishing it. But <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but and it's and some of them are simple. But like really, I I wanted to give something to therapists to say this is this will just this will just give you a bunch of activities you could just try outdoors with kids because they've worked with kids that we've worked with outdoors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they've mm-hmm. been they've been tried in real groups with real kids who have some developmental challenges. So, um, yeah, so I'm sorry, I went on a big tangent and I can't even remember. Oh, what, (laughs) what, what OT is and what, how do we know what we're doing is OT? But I, I sound very confident. I know, but I struggle with this question all the time. I, I feel like how sometimes I think about what we post on Instagram and I'm like, how, how do we look different from a forest school or from, um, a nature play program, you know, like we need to be showing the value of our service to people, showing them why OT is OT outdoors and not just a nature play program, even though those are awesome. If that's what you want to run, that's fine. But if you're, if you're charging people for therapy, I think we really need to be doing the assessment, thinking about goals, thinking about the theory that's going to inform what we do, and then following up and writing the progress notes and really being yeah um, methodical about what we're what we're how we're intervening right so yeah yeah and i think it's i think there are lots of little gold nuggets in there for me to kind of reflect on um but yeah it's interesting i think it sort of um probably looks not the same but quite similar to maybe some of those things that you mentioned but it's all that um like you said the theory and the underpinning and the, the stuff the thinking that you do in planning and then reflection that kind of um sets you guys and 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 ot's aside from from those other services as um but yeah it's, it, it is tricky because probably on face value yeah we look it'll look similar if people don't know the the goals and the, and the work you've done um and the theories right. that underpin what you're doing yeah because we can't, the, the challenge I've been finding is that we can't say, this is Laura. She's working on this skill and today she did it. Yay. You know, you can't share that kind of information about kids that are getting therapy. You know, so, yeah. so while like an educator might be able to like highlight kids' achievements or whatever, like we have all these laws in place to really protect kids' privacy, which are needed and necessary and I fully support them. But it makes, you know, kind of creating that community excitement around a particular child or even a particular group's accomplishments, it makes it really hard, you know, (laughs) because you're kind of, if you're sharing anything about any of their actual goals by what you post online, it's, it's a breach of confidentiality. So it's it's tricky, you know, so it's good to think about it. it, Yeah. yeah. It's so hard. Like you said, when that's, that's the thing, it's it's a program part and that's the part you can't really, um, (laughs) you can't really share. Yeah. Totally. Like Laura, I keep using my name, protecting an anonymity. You know, Laura got her hands dirty for the first time today and didn't cry. Yay. You know, like that would be 
that that's that like speaks parents language i mean that's the kids who have those sensory defensiveness issues they do awesome with outdoor ot i mean it is such a rich sensory environment for them to to be with peers and to have getting dirty and messy be normalized and um and fun and just happen naturally within the flow of their play but we can't really you know we can't really advertise that in particular yeah. maybe we could just put hands or something you know that might be a good a good post but anyway. it's true it, it could be yeah. but yeah yeah <laughs> the other thing i was curious about is around um i know these are all really quite practical things but i guess that's maybe where i'm at in my journey with it but it is around sort of yeah that, the staffing and ratios and I, I don't know if i've read somewhere that you sort of have students sometimes oh yeah as well Uh, yeah so i have good advice for this like this is i'm like okay um (laughs) now i don't i don't know if it will work for everyone but very early on on our website we put a sign up button and linked it to an email list on mailchimp which i hate mailchimp do not use mailchimp for your email list if you are listening to this it's the worst, okay? I don't know of other ones that are good, but I would not use MailChimp except that I have like so many contacts in MailChimp on email list and all these things set up to send emails that I will never switch, I'm sure. But just that's my advice. <laughs> don't use MailChimp. But um, very early on, we put a link on our website. We put a page for students, like con- volunteers or whatever. And the the people who would come across our website that wanted to volunteer, usually it's pre-OT students. You know, they do these searches. You need to make sure that your, your website is optimized to show up on Google, right? But they do these searches, occupational therapy volunteer or whatever, because they need those hours to get into OT school. So they basically what we did was we set up the email list on our website and said, Every August, we have volunteer, we call them volunteer mentorships to talk about how we really mentor them and we, they're working with us. They're not sitting in a corner in a clinic just observing. They really are hands-on with the kids and we give them a training manual and we really trust them to be an active part of the session, not just observing, right? So most people really like it because who wants to sit and observe? They really want the hands-on experience. And so we basically collected emails throughout the year. And then when we have our groups launch in the fall, which I'll be doing soon, all year long, people have been joining that email list to be notified. And those are, those are people who are highly motivated to actually apply because they've expressed interest. They've given their email to us, right? And when we have our schedule set for the fall, I basically set up in our registration platform and I just used to use Google Forms. I mean, you could do this. Um, And I would have, I would send it out to the email list and say, here's the application, please apply now. These are the groups that we have and tell us what days you're available. And the same way I used to do, again, phone interviews and those took forever. Now I really look at the application and I tell people, please be thorough on your application. This is how we will decide whether or not we are going to hire you for a, for a mentorship position, right? It's volunteer, but it's, it's an active part of the business. So we want good people. Yeah. And yeah. so um, yeah. I have always been able to fill, last year our groups all had two volunteers and an OT. 
And Mm -hmm. so if one person was sick, it was like, it's okay, we can run with two people this week. And very rarely did we have, I think one or two times we had both people sick and I had to, I had to, or or out for whatever reason. And I had to jump in to volunteer with, volunteer with the group, (laughs) (laughs) Um, assist, I should say. Um, But but yeah, it's worked out so well for us. And, and I just, it's, it's so wonderful to have pre-OT students really see this model and, and learn from all different kinds of kids and be able to work closely with the OT rather than the type of observation that they can do in other settings to get their volunteer hours or whatever. So it has worked really well for us um, to do that, to have that, that email list on the website. Um, And that's another thing too, is with, with a website, when you, I don't, I forget who I heard this from. I, I don't know who I heard it from, but there, when you, when people come to your website, probably like 2% of them are ready to actually buy your service, right? Mm-hmm. There's like 98% of them are going to see your website and go, oh, this looks so wonderful. Oh, Brad seems <laughs> great OT, naturally gathers just like, what a lovely program. Oh, I love this blog post. And then they leave your website and six months later, they're like, what was that? what was that website I was on six months ago now that it's, I think I want to enroll my kid and maybe they can't even find you because they don't remember. Right. So having a way that you can let people know that they're interested in registering in the future and just put them on an email list, even if you don't have content that you're sending them or offers you're sending, you know, cause that's email marketing is a whole topic, which I could talk about in another podcast episode. But, um, but I think, having some way that you capture those people, even if you make like a little PDF, you know, top three tips for engaging your child in natural play outdoors or something like that, people will give you their email for that. And then you can, then you kind of have captured interested people so that you can contact them when you're launching those nature play groups for the, or the, the OT groups for the fall, you could say, we're, we're going to have these groups. We have 10 spots. Please email me to register or whatever. And maybe by then you have a hundred people and 10 of those people would be interested. I don't know. So it's just a, yeah, a tip yeah. that I love that idea about like, cause I never thought of that. You get traffic to your website, but if you're not capturing those people, they, they leave and then maybe forget who you are, you know? So it's true. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. At least with the emails, you might sort of get someone at the right time or, um, cause yeah, right. it's, if they stumble on your website and it's the wrong time, then, then, um, yeah, like you said, you've lost them. Hey, that's a really good point. Um, again, we're pretty lucky with, um, the upcoming group cause the school is actually supporting it. Um, so they're, um, basically all referrals are coming through the school. Um, yeah, which is really cool. Another sort of, yeah, lucky moment, I guess, where I can sort of yeah. <laughs> um, transition. Um, my way up to um, um, yeah, I guess the bigger picture um, and a bit of a stepping stone, which is yeah, pretty pretty cool and pretty fortunate. I certainly my uh, the online stuff, the website and Facebook and emails and things. It's certainly something that I've got a lot of learning to do, and I, I, it's something I guess it's, it's yeah, I probably don't have keeps of energy for as well which makes it hard yeah yeah um, and so um, yeah i have a I, tip for that do you want a tip for that so uh, yeah that'd be great i've been reading some of your um some of your other posts and blogs which have been really handy for me sort of thinking forwards and kind of like yeah thinking about yeah how i want to what to spend share, my time yeah, like, and use my energy 
Right, right. So the the best thing that okay, first of all, I want to say your Instagram is fabulous. It's beautiful. It's just it's so beautiful. <laughs> and and that's what you want on Instagram. You want like engaging images, right? It's beautiful. Yeah, um thank you. and <laughs> your blog posts are amazing. I honestly think your your blog posts, like those should be getting shared like widely. You know, if you oh, thanks. That's if you, it it no, there's really good content there. And if you did a little bit of like add an image or if you kind of bolded the really important because people scan blog posts, right? If they're like two yeah, paragraphs yeah. of text, people are like, I don't okay, I kind of get it. Okay. But your your writing is beautiful. You're making really good points. That's like people people need to hear that OT perspective on a lot of the things you're writing about. I mean, I haven't read every blog post, but I read a few and they're really good, Brad. You should these should be out there and like being shared with people. And so I think like if you took those blog posts and even just your most recent ones maybe added a few images and added maybe maybe break up the paragraph text a little bit and like bold a main point, you know, that you make that it makes it kind of scannable for people to be yeah, yeah. quickly. And those are gold, man. You should be <laughs> it's like you <laughs> You could make those into email marketing for families where you're just sharing content with them. You just put those into emails and they send to families automatically. And that keeps you like top of mind when people are out at a party and they're like, oh, I think my kid might need it. We're thinking about OT. Do you know what OT is? Like, I think he might have sensory. They're like, oh, there's this really great guy named Brad who's an OT. He does his <laughs> services outdoors. And I get these really great emails from him. Like that is, that's, you can never know how much effect that has, but I think that that keeps your business top of mind with people and then they're more likely to remember when they're in a social setting like that to share your name, right? So mm. you've got great content there. I mean, it's-, oh, it's Thanks. So- Thank you. And I think um, the email sends out to my email list, the, the blog post sends out to my email list um, sort of the day after. I pop it up, um, which is, yeah, one thing that I've, um, yeah, managed to work out. But, um, uh, but yeah, that's what I was, was going to say. So I've been very inspired by, I don't know if you've read or heard of much of Seth Godin's work. Um, oh, yeah, Seth Godin. He's written a but, ton of marketing stuff, yep. Yeah, I've been loving his stuff and his sort of um, ideas, yeah, just sort of, um, you know, serving the people you seek to serve and, and, yep. and um, yeah, creating content that's going to, you know, give value. And then from, yes. from there you can kind of, there's your starting point, you've sort of planted the foundation and then you can offer more. And that's been really, um, yeah, I've, I've loved sort of reading and thinking about how that sort of fits and works for um, for me and just, yeah, thinking about how you can, how I can kind of offer offer value that's that everyone can access is is really cool as well and yeah um, that's i guess it's the same for some of the stuff that you're doing as well yeah it's important it's it's really important and i think it helps us as ot's i say this a lot that we always want to help people and we feel like it's like bad to make money you know but really when you are when that's your heart when your heart is really to serve people and help them it's okay to make money and you and you you should feel you know your own heart, right? You know your own motivations and you should feel okay making money and, and surviving and paying yourself mm. while you're offering extreme value to people and really serving them well. Um, and I think we do that as OTs every day. I mean, yeah, it's, 
we're good at that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. And yeah, I guess in the end you'll you know probably if you're not offering something that's of good value. Um, right. Right. That will come back around. Um yeah. Hey, I was gonna tell you too, really quick before we go, because we're going on I'm gonna have to edit out a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to keep these around one hour because my short ones are like 10 to 20 minutes. I'm like, this would be like hour and a half, very long. Um, but I was going to tell you about, have you heard of Meet Edgar, that service online? No, no, I haven't. Okay. So that was the tip I was going to tell you. The tip was not set up in the email list. I forgot to mention the actual tip. So um, <laughs> Meet Edgar is a service online. It's well, when I signed up, it was $50 a month. That's still what I pay. I don't know if that's still what they charge. Basically, it allows you to set up all of your social media as a library of content that you can then, it makes it evergreen where you can continually share it and you can set up categories. So you can have education, nature play, OT, motor skills, sensory processing, parenting, whatever you want to set up. And you can put content as you find it online. You know, maybe you find a really great article about risky play and you want to link to that and share it with families on social media. You put that in your little folder for risky play within this Edgar platform. And it will, on a schedule that you set up yourself, it will auto post everything that you have in that category. So if you're going to share something on play every Tuesday at 3 p.m., then it you have put 30 things in play, 30 things you'd like to share in the play folder, and it will cycle through those continually. And one yeah. of the things that they're, that they're like, you know, they're saying with this platform is like people initially were saying, but yeah, but people don't want to see things twice. It's like, who cares if they see it twice? Like the average lifespan of a Facebook post is like two minutes or something. So yeah. if you yeah. share something more than once and it's like twice a year you share it, like who cares? It automates the whole process for you. And I bulked at the $50 price until I actually set it up and started using it. And I was like, that's the best money I spend every month because it, it shares valuable information. I mean, including our blog posts and stuff, but it shares valuable information from a wide variety of people with our customers and the broader community, you know, the worldwide community really. So it's cool. It's a really great service and I highly recommend it. I mean, it, it has especially in the early stages of your business, it will really get the, you can share other people's content, but it'll, it'll get your business name in front of a lot of eyes, you know, so that it, it has yeah. more no like and trust value, I guess. But. <clears throat> yeah, that sounds amazing. I, uh, socials is not something that I, yeah, uh, I have a heap of energy for. So that sounds, that sounds um, really, really cool. Yeah, because then you don't have to worry about it. You know, you can add it when you want to. You can sit down and add things to it, have yeah. a schedule set up, and then you're not, you know, you're not every day feeling the pressure of, oh my gosh, I got to post something because I have to, you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So, anyway. Yep. Yep. No, for sure. Now that sounds good. I'll definitely have a sauce because it sounds, yeah, really valuable for, yeah. for me, particularly. Yeah, um, it's great. Yeah. All right. Well, we should probably wrap up. This is this has been an awesome conversation. I hope it was helpful to you and helpful to all of the listeners too. But um. <laughs> I loved, um, yeah, having a chat and sort of picking picking your brain, sort of um, to help me on the I guess the next sort of step of my journey. So um, yeah, thanks so much for your yeah. time as well. 
Where can um, people find you online? Like what I know you said you don't love social media, but <laughs> where can people find you so online? I, share your website do, or any social media. I do. I, uh, everything sits under naturally gathered, um, sort of spelled as you'd spell the, 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 the two words naturally gathered. Um, I do have a Facebook and Instagram. Um, and yeah, I've got a website, which is just www.naturallygathered.com.au, um, which has a blog that you can um, sign up for um, if you're interested, which is, I, I guess it's got more things than nature-based stuff. It's it's got a lot of stuff about sort of how we how we interact and and be with kids, um, which is something I'm super passionate about as well. So it's kind of got um, yeah both sides of things of um, of, um, of those coins. Um, and yeah, if um, it, my email just on the website, if anyone wants to um, touch base, I'd love to hear from anyone who's. Um, yeah, got anything to, to, to share or um, wants, to, wants to get in contact. So, yeah. Great. I love your blog. You guys should go read his blog. It's really good. It's, um, <laughs> it's insightful and it's inspiring as an OT to read those posts and help it or, or allow what Brad shares in those posts to kind of guide your work with children. Um, it's awesome. So thank you so much brad this was a great conversation i'm so excited to share it with everyone and have them learn from you awesome thank you so much laura yeah it's been it's been great it's been really yeah we'll stay in touch too (laughs) definitely yeah definitely yeah for sure i'll definitely keep you updated and and, and be in touch for sure cool all right we'll talk in the future then awesome thanks all right right. take care bye Oh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. It was such a joy to talk with Brad and to see how he is looking to grow his nature-based practice and serve his community. It's just really awesome. So if you want to do the same, if you want to get started in nature-based therapy to serve children and families in your community, but you're a little overwhelmed with how to get started, then we are inviting you to the Therapy in the Great Outdoors training retreat, which will happen here in California from November 2nd to the 5th, 2019, if you're listening to this in the future. (laughs) Um, This retreat is going to be just, I cannot wait, I'm so excited. It's going to be such a wonderful time to come together with other therapists. And this is not just going to be OTs. The majority of people that have signed up right now are OTs, but we also have a speech therapist and several psychologists that have expressed interest. So it's going to be a time of coming together with other therapists. And we're going to be sharing the Contigo approach, connection and transformation in the great outdoors. This approach was developed here at Outdoor Kids OT, and it is a framework for guiding your practice in the outdoors with children. We are not certifying people. This is not something you have to use if you come to the retreat. It's just to help you in guiding your thinking as you get started in nature-based therapy. We're going to be teaching the Contigo approach and discussing it and talking about the research behind it. And then we're also going to be giving you really practical skills to work with children outdoors. Things like knife skills, fire building, how to build a fort, how to hang a tree swing, different tree swings you can use, different activities with tree swings. Um, And then also just a ton of resources to support you, like, you know, waivers and talking about intake processes and grouping kids together, and then also giving you goal banks that you can use to write goals in your nature-based practice. I can't even think of it all right now, but it's all on the website. So 
It's going to be a combo of learning and practical knowledge that you're going to get and practical skills. And it's all on the website for you to go look at all the information and decide if it is right for you. You can go to mindyourotbusiness.com and there will be a banner across the top of the page that says click here for more information about the Therapy in the Great Outdoors training retreat and that will take you to the retreat page where you can read all of the information, everything that's included and just how much fun we're going to have together in November. So please come and join us if you're interested in nature-based therapy. I would love to meet some of you in person and collaborate and learn from one another and just share what we've learned here at Outdoor Kids OT too. So you can get $100 off early registration by July 15th. So this podcast is being published, I think, only a few days before that. So go to the website and see if there's still spots um, with code EARLYBIRD. So type in the code EARLYBIRD and you will get $100 off for early registration. All the details are on the website, so go there. I could not think of an action item for this week because we just discussed so much and I feel like there are several things I could say, but they might not be what you want to work on. So for the first time ever, I'm going to say you should pick something that you learned in this podcast, one small thing you learned that can apply to your business. Because even if you listen to it and you're not doing nature-based therapy, I think there were things we talked about that apply to any business. And pick one small thing and really take a step to do an action item based on that one small thing you learned this week. Because it's those small steps that make great gains over time in our businesses. I believe this. That's why I say it every week. So take those small steps, you guys. Until next time, mind your OT business.